Managing type 1 diabetes can be difficult and challenging. Today, a management revolution is underway that can help us all live happier and healthier lives. I'm Cliff Sherb, founder of Glucose Advisors. I will be sitting down with expert guests exploring topics in the advancements of the science of diabetes management, their personal type 1 diabetes stories, and details of the latest methods to help take control of T1D. We hope these stories inspire you to take control of your diabetes, health, and well-being, learning more about the advancements that exist to live a better life. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com, learn from our team of advisors, and find out more about space available in our management programs. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Howard and Chris. Thanks for joining me today, guys. So great to see you, Cliff. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so I want to introduce our, our special guests here to, uh, today. Uh, we have Howard Look, who's the president and CEO and founder of Tidepool, and Christopher Snyder, who's the community and uh, clinic success manager at Tidepool. And for those who don't know, Tidepool is an open source, non-for-profit company focused on liberating data from diabetes devices supporting researchers and providing great free software to people with diabetes and their care teams. Uh, their mission is to make diabetes data more accessible, actionable, and meaningful for people with diabetes and their care teams and researchers. Uh, so I am super thrilled to have you guys on. Uh, I have so many questions. Uh, <clears throat> before I dip into that, I will say, break the ice a little bit. Do you guys have favorite movies? And if so, what are they? I am smiling and, and laughing that you asked that question. So believe it or not, that was an interview question for me when I interviewed at Pixar and talk about a high pressure situation, like going to a movie studio and being asked, what's your favorite movie? And I was not ready for the question. So I'm gonna give you exactly the same answer that I gave them, which, 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 is, which is all true. Um, my favorite movie is Big with Tom Hanks. You know, this movie where he, gets transformed after talking to Zoltar into an adult, even though he's a kid in an adult's body. And like that whole premise, I just thought was so amazing. And it was this incredible reminder of how we're all kids at heart and, and just enjoy Like I remember this scene where in his adult body, he's, uh, you know, jumping on the piano keys and FEO Schwartz and with his friend who's a kid they're doing all the things that friends do blowing bubbles with bubble gum and stuff like that and so anyway that was my answer when I interviewed at Pixar I have I'm a movie fanatic having worked at a movie studio and I, I watch movies all the time every weekend so I love tons of movies but I'm sticking with that answer that's awesome I I, I still love uh, the Zoltar machine and uh, it creeps me out at the same time. I'm, I'm kind of like, ooh, that's really cool when the ticket comes right out of the mouth. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're still out there too. I've seen them. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely seen them too. Christopher, how about you? Um, so with the Pixar guy on, I would say The Incredibles because the scene where Dash learns he can run on water and he giggles gets me every time. Um, the nostalgic, not nostalgic, but the Thing I could put on the background anytime is Clue. That movie just, I will always watch that movie anytime I can watch it. Um, but to go slightly more current, I go with Fast Five. Um, the Fast and Furious franchise, as Howard can attest to, if anytime somebody mentions it in the Tidepool Slack, I just, I think I have a notification set up. I will be there for that conversation. I love that franchise. It is so absurd. I just am all in. But Fast Five is where that series transitioned from 
um, just about the cars to doing bonkers stuff with the cars. And it was the perfect sort of mesh of um, a concept in the heist movie concept um, applied to the bonkers physics and reality of the Fast and Furious franchise. Um, and it was right on the cusp of Dwayne Johnson becoming the most important person in media. So he wasn't quite like his ego hadn't taken over that franchise yet. So we could talk about the Fast and Furious franchise for the entire podcast if you want to. But uh, Fast <laughs> Five is, is uh, for me, the pinnacle of the absurdity and appreciation of what those movies have to offer. Uh, I'm yeah. so glad that was your answer, Christopher, because if it wasn't, I was going to call you out and say, I can't believe you. Really fast and furious, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm rewatching. I mean, to, to date this podcast, they, they just released a new trailer for for Fast 9 or F9 or whatever they're calling it. And, you know, I have that on loop. I'm so excited for that movie. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to if I want to go see it in the theater. That's a whole separate matter. There's a, still a global pandemic happening. Um, but, you know, I've been fully vaccinated, so I'm fortunate to be on that side of things. But movie theaters, people like, you know, we've been spoiled by the part where we can just like pause the thing at home and go to the kitchen and make food. And it's going to yeah, be nice to get back to seeing wild year, movies, yeah. right? Nice to be getting back to movie theaters. Mm. Yeah. Speaking of lockdown, I mean, uh, I feel like we, we've come out of this pandemic. I know, uh, Howard, you and I connected during the lockdown and, uh, but I feel like you have been in another lockdown, which is, uh, with the FDA for the, uh, the last little bit here. Yeah. I know just reaching you was uh, very difficult and, you know, you were, uh, in the throes of submitting information and needing to be on call. Uh, how are you, how are you doing taking some air from, uh, from that experience and, and where are we at with, uh, with loop right now? Yeah, it's a super interesting time and getting to see what's going on at the agency right now during the pandemic has been this whole other level of uh, learning for us. So we submitted the 510K, which for your listeners who don't know what that or what that means, um, the FDA has different types of applications. A 510K is for a class two device, a PMA or pre-market applications for a class three device, and they're basically different risk stratifications. So we submitted... Uh, December 17th is the day specifically, uh, but who's counting? We're counting. Uh, and the reason we're counting is because in normal times, a 510k submission takes 90 days to review. And typically there's this period between day one and day 60 where there's a lot of interactive conversations going back and forth. And then they let you know on day 60 if they're going to give you a hold or at, uh, make a request for additional information. Prior to our submission, we had been in touch with the agency just to say, hey, we're getting really close. Just want to make sure it's still cool. Do you want us to wait? Do you want us to submit now? And they were very clear with us. They're like, this is the craziest time we have ever had. I actually talked with the, uh, at the time, the division chief, the, the FDA split into two parts, one that handles drugs and biologics called CBER. They're the ones that approve the vaccines under emergency use authorization. And then there's CDRH, the Center for uh, Digital and Radiological, sorry, Center for uh, Diagnostic and Radiological Health. Sorry, I've got to keep my acronyms straight. Um, and they do all the devices like insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitors. And uh, we talked to the, the branch chief for CDRH that oversees diabetes devices. They also oversee COVID tests. And when we talked to them uh, late summer, early fall of last year, they had 900 applications for COVID tests in front of them. Wow. Which, and that's not vaccines, like the other division handles vaccines. Yeah. 
So, you know, all the at-home tests, all the in-clinic tests, all the, yeah. you know, at Walgreens Rite Aid tests, like the every one of these tests has been submitted and reviewed, and the ones that are getting used get emergency use authorizations. Uh, so they were very clear with us. We are absolutely swamped yeah. right now. Thank you for your patience. Mm. You're not in, like, in all likelihood going to get a 90-day review cycle, which is true. Had we gotten a 90-day review cycle, we would have heard back on March 17th. They did let us know around uh, end of February, we're working on it, and we know they're working on it because they keep asking questions. We've had a very active, interactive review cycle, but we have not yet heard. And so we're kind of in this interesting day-to-day, week-to-week mode, knowing full well how busy they are, on top of COVID, we know, you know, lots of diabetes device companies have been very clear. We know Insulet submitted the Omnipod 5. We know Dexcom has products under review. We know uh, Medtronic, like everybody, uh, Bigfoot announced that they had submitted their product. So they are just freaking busy. <laughs> and so we're very thankful that they've even been looking at our application and asking great questions, but we haven't yet heard back. That's Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Everybody's pretty excited. Uh, when, when can I go to the app store and download the Typo Loop app? I, I can't wait. So uh, when, when it comes, we'll, we'll announce it from the rafters and yell loudly for sure. So Christopher's got a great answer to that, that he says to the community, which is trust us when we have any information, we will share it. Yeah. Whenever there's something uh, to share, we will not be shy about yelling it as far and wide as possible from the digital mountaintop that we uh, operate on. Um, but until there's something to say, there's nothing to say, which is, you know, a, admittedly a tough position to be in whenever this, you know, this is a diabetes community that has a, we are not waiting hashtag that is part of our moniker. Like we get it. I get it. I have diabetes. I live with the stuff I understand, but also seeing it from the other side, I am in this privileged position of being part of this process. And there's, you know, trying to navigate the, 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 urgency and the essential nature of the technology that's being developed and that is coming down the road uh, but also there's a due process that is required for that and trying to you know it's 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 not sexy to communicate oh no there is this required review period there is a regulatory process there are these important steps that have to be communicated out there um and trying to figure out how to balance that but ultimately whenever there's something to celebrate we will not be shy yeah. about celebrating it with everybody that's good Howard, I remember uh, uh, going down to visit the FDA for our app, Engine One, and sitting under the uh, white hot lights and feeling a little bit uncomfortable squirming in front of the uh, the board there. Um, it, it was pretty intense, but you know, with you know reasonable expectations that we want everyone to be safe with these products and whatever we're bringing to market. So uh, it, it's a good thing. We can wait. You know, it's coming. We know yeah. that. So it, it's all exciting. Okay, can I, can I talk about that just for a second? Because I hear a lot of people complain about the FDA, and I know you're not, you're not, but I've heard device makers and I've heard people in the industry go, oh, the bureaucracy of it all. And that has not been our experience at all. Like the people we interact with at the agency are really, really smart and really ask good questions, and they have a really important job to do, and I want them to do that job well. Like their job is to protect and promote public health. Like we don't want apps going out the door that aren't safe, and we don't want vaccines or uh, or tests to go out the door that aren't safe and aren't effective. And so I actually have a huge amount of respect for them. Even before the pandemic, I said they have never slowed us down. 
So now they are a little bit, but it's understandable. Like there's a once in a century thing going on. And so I can understand that they're a little busy, but they are doing their job and they are doing their job well. And I actually think they do deserve a ton of credit for how well they do their job and how efficiently and quickly they do their job. I agree with you. I, I would echo that. And I would add that they're very proactive in even coming out to a lot of the meetings that we have and, you know, dialoguing with the community. That's rare, you know, in a lot of other, I think, um, institutions that have to regulate all sorts of things. So, no, I, I agree with you. So, uh, you know, with the recent FDA submission of the app, I mean, the tide pool goal, right, is to in- achieve this interoperability with, you know, our devices. Um, from the you know tide pools inception, that's been the the concept. And since I met you and tide pool, I, how how much further along are we at this point? Because back then things were really locked down, and now they're that's open. Right. Yeah, there's been huge progress, and I'll I'll be honest, Cliff, I'm really proud of what we've been able to accomplish and how we've moved that dialogue forward. When we got started, it was all about just getting the data out of the devices. And at the time in 2013, it was not a given that you as a person living with diabetes would have access to the data from your device and be able to see it in whatever form you wanted to see it. And that conversation over the course of 2013 to say 2018 totally changed. And and I take great pride in the fact that we made that be a top of mind conversation for the community and for industry. At the time in 2013, there were term, you know, those long terms of use that you click through and nobody reads some of them. So we read them and some of them actually said by uploading your data, you give up all right title and interest to your data. And we're like, what? No. Like if you step on a bathroom scale, the scale company doesn't get to own your weight. If you take your temperature with a thermometer, the thermometer company doesn't get to own your temperature. Why is it any different with your glucose reading or your how much insulin got put into your body. Like this is your disease, it's your data. So we totally changed that conversation, which I'm, I'm super happy about and did it in a way that was interoperable and worked with every device. I mean, just from a very personal level, the thing I was frustrated about in 2013 is that my daughter was on a Medtronic pump and a Dexcom CGM. And as a parent, I couldn't see her data in one place and her doctors couldn't see her data in one place. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, why can't we do better? And so we went and did it. So then the interoperability conversation kept getting more interesting as closed loop systems started happening. And honestly, what I think broke that conversation open was the do-it-yourself community. It was the we are not waiting movement. At the time, Ben West was actually a tide pool employee, but in his spare time, Ben West was reverse engineering Medtronic insulin pumps at first so he could see the data, but then eventually so that you could actually control the pump. That happened at the same time that John Costick was reverse engineering the Dexcom receiver so that he at first so that he could see his son's data. And then you put those two things together and I'm pointing my fingers together. I know this is an <laughs> audio podcast, uh, but but then you start putting those things together. And then Scott Librand and Dana Lewis were like, wait a minute, if we can control an insulin pump and we can get the data out of a CGM, we can build a closed loop system and poof, open APS is born. 
fast forward a little bit, Loop is born when Nate Raycliffe says, wait a minute, I'd really like to see this on my iPhone. And Pete Schwamm says, you know what, I can make a little box that makes it easy to talk to the Medtronic pump from the iPhone. And so that's when the interoperability story really, really started taking off. And it became clear that it was way better to have components that could talk to each other than these closed proprietary systems because the DIY community was taking that capability and making these incredible systems. Like my daughter was on OpenAPS in 2015. Like that is years ahead of when commercial systems were available and with much better outcomes and much better results. So that then led Helmsley Trust, JDRF to go, wait a minute, there's something to this interoperability thing. JDRF launches the Open Protocol Initiative. Helmsley Trust and JDRF decided us to fund us to do Loop. And then the, the, the last missing piece, again, back to our conversation about the FDA, was the FDA was like, yo, industry, you're crushing us. You're killing us, Smalls. Like, you're sending these huge, massive systems for us to review, why can't you just send us components? And so the FDA actually gets a huge amount of credit because they are the ones that went to industry and they came to us and said, hey, here's what we're thinking. Do you think this is the right way to go? And we're like, absolutely, positively. So the FDA says, we want these interoperable components to happen in industry. We're gonna dangle this big, fat, juicy carrot in front of you if you do this. Hmm. We're gonna declassify from class three to class two if you submit interoperable components that meet these specifications. So it just all came together all at the right time. So interesting. So then the next, I guess, question I have on that is you have these partnerships already with pump companies, Medtronic and Insulet. So how do you reconcile with the pump companies that you know already, for instance, have their own closed loop systems in the marketplace Meaning, like, how do you get them, you know, to buy into the Typo Loop app? With, you know, how will they want to join? How does that actually play out? Well, it's a process. So, yeah. so the conversations, you know, kind of play out over time with these companies, and we've got other companies, other CGM and pump companies that we're talking to that I can't talk about. You mentioned the ones that we've done public deals with, but. In all cases, it's a process. And in general, the story is, hey, this is better for the community. The community should have choice. People should be able to choose the form factor of the pump they want, the user experience that they want, and the CGM that they want, in addition to the algorithm. And when all of those things are components that talk to each other, that opens up a whole new world. I, I actually, I often use you, Cliff, as an example. I'll say something like, hey, algorithms are not one size fits all. Like an algorithm for the adult with type one is different than the algorithm for the kid than with type one. That's an obvious thing, but there's also different algorithms for the elite athlete with type one or different algorithms for the pregnant mom with type one. And the more you can make these components interoperable, the easier it is to iterate and start improving on the experience and the algorithm and the form factor. When it's all a big vertical proprietary system, the whole system has to change. But if you can iterate on the components, you can make improvements much more easily. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Well, I, I... It's great. I mean, I, it happened actually relatively fast, in my opinion, how you guys behind the scenes were pulling people together. And uh, that, that was a lot of legwork, as is right now the big legwork with the FDA. So again, just kudos to you guys for all that hard work. 
Um, will there be other, you think, CGM manufacturers in play uh, besides Dexcom down the road? Uh, nothing to announce, but like yeah. Chris said earlier, as soon as there is something to announce, you'll definitely hear it. Good. The okay. thing I would highlight there is, and this actually goes back to, I don't remember when we were allowed to hang out together in person, but there was an ADA, I guess it was a 2019, when we announced the Medtronic and Dexcom um, agreements at uh, D-Data. Howard had a slide up behind him. It was this dance card that he had. And we had uh, Dexcom and Medtronic and Inslet up there. And we had empty spots there saying, and he said, our dance card is not yet full. And, and the goal, as mentioned, is full interoperability so that you can provide it, you know, the prerequisites of, you know, what I could talk about as far as the healthcare industry, you know, insurance and, you know, access and things like that. But ultimately the system won't care what um, CGM is communicating with it and what pump it's communicating with as well. It's going to be receiving CGM data, sending a command to an insulin pump. And I'm going to do this magic hand wave over this audio podcast to say it's just engineering to make them all communicate together effectively. But Tidepool is responsible for putting in that work. You as the end user, the person with diabetes, you get to choose the devices that work best for you. And the experience ultimately won't change because it's still going to be that same phone screen that you're looking at to see what your blood sugar is, to see how much insulin you have on board and go and you go from there. Right. Um what would you say, are, are there any meaningful changes that we're going to see? Maybe you can can or cannot touch base on this, but uh, with the current loop system that we see, right? I mean, I think people were wondering, well, is it going to be the same DIY version uh, in the app store that I'm going to download and I'm going to have the same experience? Or, or does the FDA like going through this process of saying, hey, we can't really have a treat to this target, for instance, um, you know, for safety reasons? Yeah, it's a great question, and we get asked that all the time. Uh, the, the version of Loop that will be known as Tidepool Loop will look extremely familiar to users of DIY Loop. It will be very recognizable. Um, we have changed some elements of the user experience in order to accommodate multiple pumps and mul multiple CGMs. It's actually all out in the open, so anyone who's really interested can go look in our GitHub repository. That's the place where the uh, open source code is kept and see what the designs look like and see uh, what we're working on. Um, the question of what will the agency allow in terms of configurable target ranges is an open question. And since we're under review, we have made a proposal to them and said, hey, we would like to have configurable target ranges in this way. I can't yet, because we're not yet cleared, say how that's gonna go. They are still reviewing it and still looking at the clinical data. We do believe that people should be able to choose their own target ranges and people should be able to set their settings as they see fit. The job of the agency is to decide uh, based on the data that we presented, what is uh, considered to be safe and effective. And so we've made a proposal and uh, we're gonna let the conversation play out and we hope that the community will be happy with where we end up. Yeah, that, I, that's great. Uh, just comparing and contrasting, you know, when, when I'm helping people with different systems and our advisors, we really like the fact that Loop shows you the, the basal rate and shows you when you're going negative uh, and that that can be a little harder with other systems, you know, such as control IQ where, you know, you're looking at it and saying, well, I wonder how much insulin is actually on board um, because certain times it's not shown. So uh, I, my hope, and I guess we'll find out is that, you know, Loop continues to, to do it that way. But it was interesting um, just in reading up, I think, on some of the information on the site that 
you guys are definitely saying, hey, the DIY community is probably going to keep going itself too. So, you know, for those who are listening, you know, there's lots of different options out there and you guys continue to just at least make it accessible. And I think that a lot of people are sitting on the sidelines waiting for this approval and they're really teeing themselves up to get into it. Uh, they say, oh, no, no, I'm going to wait until it's approved you know, get that rubber stamp from the FDA and, and make it happen, you know, so it's, it's exciting where it's headed. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really important thing that needs to be recognized. Uh, actually, two things that needs to be recognized. One is the DIY community will never go away. But and the agency said this to us, there should be options for people who don't want to build their own system. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to put something in the app store that is FDA reviewed and FDA cleared so that people who don't want to build their own system can have a choice. And the people who want to keep building their own system, they should also be able to do that. And that will never go away. There will always be people who are um, tinkerers and citizen scientists. And I am one of those people that will always want to say what is out there and what is the best possible care. Cliff, you're raising your hand too. So that's great. <laughs> and, and that will always be the case. But I think there's a whole lot of people who are like, the only reason I'm building it myself and I'm going to all this trouble is because it is the experience I want and it is the best possible care for me or for my child. I would much rather download it from the app store and just use something that is supported and FDA reviewed and cleared. Yeah, exactly. And and right now, right, the, the total number of people who are using these systems is still quite small. Uh, even if, you know, in the future, I'll, mostly everybody I think will be using these, right? But right now we're still only have, maybe it's like 10,000 users in the, um, in the loop group, for instance, but you know, you've got a, a large addressable uh, market, but you know, how do you grow the access and the affordability for these systems? That's really the question. Yeah, well, well, a key to that is making it easy to access. So being in the app store is certainly one part of that. Um, it's there's it's such a we could probably spend an entire podcast talking about accessibility. And it's something that uh, Christopher and I and other folks at Tidepool talk about and work on a lot. And it's something that's really important to us to make sure that the work we do as a nonprofit with a mission of helping the entire community to make sure that the work we do is out there as broadly as possible. It's not just on us. There's definitely things we can do to make sure our app is accessible. It's also on insurance companies to provide insurance for devices and make it easy for people to get those devices. It's on device makers to make sure to the extent possible that they're uh, devices are covered under public assistance insurance uh, to make sure that they're available under prescription benefit. It is a big, hairy, complicated problem. We play one small piece of it, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that our technology is broadly accessible. But this is a big problem that, the, it, it, just to be blunt, it is very broken in our country, and yeah. there's a lot of work that needs to happen to make sure that the best possible care makes it to the most possible people. So yes, and that um, it, the the thing that I have always appreciated working at Typo. I'm saying this also like my boss is on the recording too, but um, like we do where possible uh, focus on not recreating the wheel. So when it comes to building software, you know, Typo is an open source company. If there's a tool or a repository out there that is doing a specific thing, 
that we don't have to necessarily build from scratch, then we'll pull that in, put it through our review and, you know, and quality management process to make sure that it's actually going to do the thing that it needs to do. But if there's code out there that already does a component that will support our software, we'll bring that in when it comes to data visualization or something like that. Similarly, for this massive landscape of making a closed loop system accessible to as many people as possible, it's Tidepool's responsibility to understand that landscape, but then be hyper-focused on the thing that we as a software company can execute on and, and, and excel on and where we can make our voice known um, and be you know, participatory in those conversations around bigger things like affordability of insulin and other things like that. Other big pieces of the bigger picture of the landscape that is not necessarily Typo's focus, but where Typo can lend its voice and enthusiasm to, that's where we will go. But, but our guiding principle um, is more often than not, most often than not, we do software, we do software really, really well. We have to stay laser focused on that. We deliver on this and we trust that we can support where necessary other groups that are better suited for, you know, public advocacy efforts, you know, the sort of regulatory things that are a little bit out of the realm of tide pool, even if it is tide pool adjacent. And that's sort of a, it's a tough thing to, sw to swallow at the end of the day, because as a person with diabetes, I need all of this stuff out there. I want all of my peers in the community to have all this stuff, but as a tide pool employee, this is where we can make the biggest impact. So we have to stay focused on that. Makes sense. I guess the question I, that makes me think about a little bit next is on the research side of things, right? You guys have this really interesting data set that you keep accumulating and you can learn about and you can iterate on and, and bring on even future um, enhancements to the system. Uh, what does that look like for you guys? Yeah, so this is another thing that I'm, I'm really proud of that, that we did uh, back in 2016, I think it was, might have been 2017, we launched the Tidepool Big Data Donation Program. And this was in response to both people with diabetes saying to us, hey, I'm uploading all this data and it's just sitting there. I can see it and my doctor can see it, but it's not doing any good for anyone. Is there any way we can get it to people where it can do some good? And we started having researchers saying to us, hey, you've got all this really interesting data. Can we get access to it? So we were in a really interesting position as a trusted not-for-profit to say to the community, here's the deal. You own your own data. We will never, ever give the data to anyone without your permission. If you would like to, you can check this box and opt in to the Tidepool Big Data Donation Project. We will strip the data of all identifying information, and then we will then allow researchers and industry to take advantage of that data to do good, to expand the boundaries of knowledge and help the diabetes community. And that's been a really successful program. And uh, Full transparency, and we said this from day one, we give away the data sets for free to academic researchers and nonprofit institutions, and we charge for-profit institutions. We then take whatever licensing fees we're able to get, and we turn around and we donate 10% of that back to the diabetes nonprofit that people can choose when they opt into the program. So we have given away over $100,000 to JDRF, Beyond Type 1, Diabetes Sisters, uh, Diabetes Hands Foundation, a bunch of others. And uh, we really, really are proud of that program. And it's really making a difference. You can actually go to our website, tidepool.org slash big data and see all of the entities uh, the ones that are really interesting are the researchers that are working on novel approaches to taking data and providing better therapy. And I'm just really, really uh, proud of us for having the courage to launch that because it 
took some courage to do something like that and really proud of the community for stepping up and donating their data and making it possible. Yeah, it, it's a it's a real team effort over there with you guys. And that's uh, what I really like about uh, Typo a lot. And yeah, I think that, uh, you know, that that data is going to make things uh, increasingly better for everyone. And then I guess, what, what do you see the next five and 10 years uh, looking like for us? I mean, this is certainly, you've built the, the, the frame of the house and the foundation, but you know, what, what's up at the top? You're asking uh, a question about what's five years from now on a diabetes focused podcast. Like that's like the, <laughs> the cardinal sin, but like, you know, there, there are a lot of so mythical things I, that are available went there, five Chris, years from now. I went there. <laughs> I have a prop for this question and your, your listeners can't see it, but I keep this on my desk. It's my tiny little crystal ball. And when I get this question, I hold it up and say it only sees six to 12 months into the future. Um, I, I'll tell you something that I was really frustrated with when uh, our daughter was diagnosed in 2011. I was really frustrated with the there will be a cure in five or 10 years and there will be a closed loop system in five years. Like five years is the minimum amount of time that people can say where they can't be held accountable for their prediction. And so that's why that always comes up. And so what I like to say is, look, there's lots of really interesting things happening in the future. I am really excited about big data and machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm really excited about context-aware delivery of therapy where your system says, oh, hey, Cliff, I happen to notice that you always go for a run at 7 a.m. If you're doing it again, I'm going to cut your basal rates at 6.30 without you needing to tell me a thing. Like, there's no reason a system can't do that. And there's no reason why a system can't tune your settings for you. There's no reason why a system can't understand your eating patterns, your exercise patterns, your sleep patterns, your menstrual cycles if you menstruate. Um, there's so much extra information that can go into providing better therapy. And there's, for all intents and purposes, in infinite compute power for us to take all that data and deliver better care to people. On top of that, I'm super excited about better user experiences. I think the thing DIY loop showed us is that having control of your diabetes on your wrist is huge to be able to bolus for a meal discreetly just sitting there and go tap 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 and now i'm i'm eating is amazing imagine being able to leave the house with just your watch and your little patch pump and a sensor and nothing else no phone like i'm excited about that i'm excited for faster insulins that are coming there's some really interesting research and development going on uh, so that there can be liquid monomer insulins. So basically the speed of a Fresa in liquid form. When that is possible, closed loop systems can be way more precise and way more accurate. And you don't have this craziness of, oh God, what's gonna happen? The insulin's not gonna peak for another 45 to 60 minutes. So start thinking about how interesting systems get when you've got that kind of insulin available in shelf-stable liquid form. So I'm excited about a lot of things. Yeah. I'm not gonna predict what's gonna be here in five years. I'm focused on the next six to 12 months. Well, I was promised to cure in 1988, so I'm I'm still really? holding out, right? Uh, but I do think that you know we proverbially landed on the moon when Loop showed up, and I mean it really was a massive, massive thing that's happened here. Uh, 
the, the daily grind and the mental uh, driving down the road, it's a lot like we have automation with cars right now and full self-driving. You know, we're, we're still getting there, but it's uh, an impressive leap forward from, from where we used to be. And to your point about where we're going with insulins, uh, you know, FIASP is something, you know, a lot, of, a lot of folks are starting to tinker around with a little bit faster insulin, and you can see these systems pivoting more quickly. So, yeah, I totally agree. And to me, that's why in back to the question about interoperability, the rate at which we can innovate and iterate can be done so much quicker in software than it can with hardware devices. So when you can tease apart the systems and iterate quickly on the algorithm and iterate quickly on the user experience, it really changes the ballgame. And that might be the thing that I'm most excited about is, and we've seen it in the DIY community and we are starting to see it in the commercial in industry. That's cool. Uh, on the data side of things, what was some of the most exciting things that you've seen uh, through, through, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know if you can share on it, but uh, in what you look through in the tide pool apps and, and data sets, I mean, uh, there's gotta be such interesting information in there. Not a lot of people get to see that kind of level of information. I'm curious as a, a DIY uh, guy myself, um, what that looks like, or what did you glean from some of that? Yeah, it, it is really interesting. So the first thing that is notable, and this won't be a surprise since you're on DIY, a DOI closed loop system is how much better closed loop systems are than uh, the usual standard of care. So there is no doubt in my mind that closed loop therapy should be the standard of care for everyone. And back to the accessibility question, to the extent that we can play our part to make sure that closed loop systems get out there as quickly and broadly as possible. Like that is far and away the biggest takeaway for me is how much better people do in closed loop systems, you know, it is now standard for, and not just loop, but control IQ, uh, 670G, other systems that are available in Europe, 70% time and range is now like the bottom. And now people are looking at 80% and, and thinking what, what will it take for us to get to 90% time and range? And that's pretty incredible. Like that lets people living with type one essentially live a completely euglycemic yeah life with no complications. That's amazing. Yeah, there's a lot less, you know, uh, thinking and, and worry. And I think that's the big thing, right, is if you can keep stripping away the number of times somebody pings in their head, how many times they have to think about exactly. what they're doing for diabetes every day. The, the biggest release uh, for me personally, when I started this system was, hey, I'm thinking a lot less about all the the math and the things that I have to do to be in the right space uh, for my blood sugar to be good. Uh, so that that mental burden is getting eased. Exactly. And that that's probably what we heard from the DIY loop community more than anything is that reduction in burden, being able to go back to live your life, not having to think about all the decisions that you used to have to make using the traditional standard of care. And to me, like as a, as a father of a kid with type one, like this for my daughter to be able to just go live her life and do the things that she's interested in, like that's what it's all about. I just want her to focus on her art and her music and her school and her, you know, all the things that a 21 year old kid should be doing and, and, and being on a closed loop system lets her do that. Yeah, it's exactly right. So one of the questions that came in from our community, I, I would, 
Uh, do you think that we'll still need a Riley link? And if so, when can we get rid of our Riley links? <laughs> yeah, Typo Loop will not uh, need the use of any kind of device, Riley link or Orange link, in order to talk to the pump and CGM. Uh, Typo Loop is intended to be used with Bluetooth enabled. Uh, they're known as ACE pumps, alternate controller enabled pumps, uh, and ICGMs, integrated continuous glucose monitors. So that is a key value proposition of type of loop is that there is no extra device required. That's really nice. I mean, it keeps getting more and more simple. I, I, I love the idea of an Apple watch and just going out for, you know, my daily walk run. And uh, that's all I need. That's it. That'd be great. So uh, I just want to say thank you guys so much for coming on today. If there's any other thoughts you guys want to share, um, I would love for you to, uh, you know, keep doing what you're doing. That's about it. I mean, the, the, the DIY community is being well served by you guys. And so are the entire diabetes uh, community here. So I just want to say thank you so much for being on with us. Really appreciate it, Cliff. It's always a pleasure talking with you. And I really appreciate you having us on. Thank awesome. You, Cliff. I, I, I guess I would say, though, you said there's anything you can do to help. I mean, Typo is a nonprofit. I'm going to throw it out there. Typo.org slash donate. Um, if, you know, times are still weird, is a global pandemic out there. If you're able to offer some support for us, that would be fantastic. Um, and for anybody out there listening to this, if you don't know what Typo actually is, like you can use Typo to view data from your pump CGM and meter all in one place. It looks pretty cool, but I'm paid to say that because I work here, but I was using Typo before I was working at Typo. Um, but yeah, we support over 50 pumps, CGMs, and meters. All that stuff is coming in. Depending on when this podcast is being released, we'll be actually releasing an update to fully support viewing data from Control IQ technology pumps very, very soon, um, which I'm very excited as a Control IQ user myself. Um, so yeah, in, in terms of uh, sort of the, the original genesis of Tidepool, pre-loop uh, fun, um, the data access and visualization uh, was and continues to be a key part of how we operate. It's key for, for parents, for, for people with diabetes, for clinicians. Um, you know, we've seen over the past year as telemedicine has become a necessity, um, that type has been a tremendous uh, asset um, and resource for clinicians across the country as they've been trying to grapple with, I can't see my patient in person. What do I do to view this diabetes device data, which is essential to me doing my job? So, um, you know, the adventure continues in a number of different facets. Loop is obviously a very big deal for a really good uh, reason, uh, but the rest of the uh, sort of type process carries on and continues to thrive. And it's been, again, I work here, I'm biased, but it's been really <laughs> exciting to be part of this movement. So, so let, me, let me pile on, because uh, Christopher um, has done an incredible job. So uh, if we set Loop aside for a second, uh, the pandemic caused something else to become front of mind, which is when you can't actually go into clinic and see your endocrinologist, you need a way to upload and view your data and a way so that your doctor can see your data. And so we wouldn't have planned it this way. We obviously would rather the pandemic didn't happen, but we saw huge growth in both clinics and people living with diabetes uh, when the pandemic started. And we're, you know, we didn't plan it that way, but it turns out that that part of what Tidepool does ended up being really, really useful. And Christopher, as our clinic success manager, was working round the clock to make sure clinics were getting up and running uh, when things got really crazy. Lots and lots of emails. Yeah, I bet. It, yeah, it, it fit in great for telemedicine and, and, and continues to be something that you guys are going to leverage in the future. And 
Uh, I will say also for our listeners too, you can make a donation on Tidepool's site and you can get some pretty cool swag and gear on their uh, t-shirts, sweatshirts. So you can wear the cause uh, and make a donation there. So thanks again, guys, for coming on and uh, keep doing all the great work you're doing over there. Really appreciate it, Cliff. Thanks. So thanks, much Cliff. For Thanks for listening to the Glucose Advisors podcast. For more episodes, visit our community at glucoseadvisors.com. Learn from our team of advisors and find out more about space available in our programs. Head on over to Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you find your podcast to rate, subscribe, or leave a review. Until next time, take control, stay inspired, and live a better life with T1D.